Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of The London Circle, where today we're going to be talking about the Rohingya and the plight suffered by Burmese Muslims under the oppressive and brutal military regime in Rangoon. We're going to be talking about the plight of the refugees and how over a million of the Rohingya have been deemed stateless and without even identities that can prove who they are, where they come from and their descendants. I'll be talking with Cho Win, the executive director of the Burma Human Rights Network. Enjoy. I read a couple of years ago, probably a few years ago now, that um, the Rohingya people, in the estimation of international human rights groups, are suffering the most depressing conditions. In fact, I recall the statement being that the most miserable and oppressed people in the entire world are the Rohingya people. Now, considering the array of calamities that we have, considering Kashmir, the, the Uyghurs, you know, Syria, Palestine, Yemen, to say that the most oppressed, the most miserable are the Rohingya people, that's something which is quite, uh, quite telling. But you know what the problem is? The problem is that I include myself, albeit campaigning for the Rohingya now for something like 13, 14 years, but I still consider myself of extreme limited information about what the subject matter. So if I was to ask you, when we talk about the Rohingya or when we campaign for the Rohingya people, are we campaigning for an ethnic group, a, religi a religious group, a national entity? Who are, who are the Rohingya? So Rohingya, uh, first of all, um, they are the children of Arakan. We call it, they are indigenous the indigenous people. The children of Arakan. Arakan. So the Arakan state. Arakan state was before it has a kingdom, separate kingdom, not same as Burma. Burmese kingdom was separate, but Arakan kingdom was separate before. But in in uh, a couple of centuries, the, uh, the Burmese were occupied, annexed into the land, and before the British colonized Burma. So Around what time was this? It was... Uh, um, Seven, 17 some something. Okay, uh, so around the 18th century. 18th, 18th century. And right. So, Rohingya people, the origin of Rohingya people. So, from the 9th century, when Arab traders, when there was no Burma or any of established course. before, yeah. 9th century, there was that time uh, uh, some seafarers or some Arab traders, they first landed to Arakan state and they intermingle with the Rakhine peoples, and also they are mingle with, mingling with the local native people. So Islam arrived that time first right. in Burma. So it in, wasn't in conquered? State. There wasn't no, a, no, 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 an Islamic conquest there or a battle? There wasn't any Muslim uh, soldier food, put any food on, on Burma, on Burma soil. Same as like Indonesia, Malaysia. Indonesia, Malaysia. <laughs> it was the Yemeni uh, tradesmen yes. that, that means came. Those who trade, trading, yeah. all that. So, but th this was from India, okay, before, I'm going to deeper. I want to explain you that the, the all the coastal line of Burma, from Akep, from Asit to Rakhine State, to, to Rangoon, to Begu, all to the Tanesarines or Martaban, all this is the name, even the name of the ports were given by Arabs, right? So all these uh, Arabs, Persians, Indians, in, including Pakistan, all Afghan, all these traders have go, gone through, bypassed, Burma to to reach to Indonesia or China, so all this was in in, in Burma was located on a very busy sea route, and during the monsoon time, those ships going traveling to Indonesia or China has to dock for six months in Burma because of the monsoon weather. Because of the monsoon. So during that time, Burma has uh, can be sourced for two things: very very solid uh, teak wood that will be important to repair ships. The second thing is they can get they can buy some ceramic pot, big big ceramic pot, for to store the goods in order to protect from the flood when the, when the seafarers are traveling. So these two items they have to buy from from Burma. So six months during these six months, uh, some of them settled there, married some Burmese women. But there is a law that you can marry to Burmese women, but you can never take your country to Burmese women anywhere. So they have to remain there. 
So that was a law. That so they, in a way, they settled. They, settled. they married and they settled. They, they settled. Okay. So in during the Arakan uh, uh, kingdom, so there was a uh, two event, two three event that was uh, very significant. One, the first time the Burmese king was uh, uh, next uh, occupied the dethroned the king, uh, Arakan king, he sheltered to the Sultan of Bengal, and Sultan of Bengal was having a war with the Sultan of Delhi. So during that time, he the, the Arakan king was showing him how to defend, share some of his knowledge, the Arakan Buddhist king. Then he def successfully defended the uh, Bengal. Then he promised that Arakan king that I will send strong army for you to to to, to retake your, your your throne. And he sent 50,000 strong army to overthrow the Burmese king and then re replace him again. These 50,000 soldiers will remain in, in, in Burma. They never return. While that, the commander of the, uh, king, uh, the, the army betrayed the king and he sheltered again to the uh, uh, Sultan of Bengal and he sent another large army. That army also remained in, in, in Burma as well. So all this, a large number of uh, Muslims exist in, in Arakan state. And uh, there are 11 or 18 kings. They have adopted Muslim names. They are Buddhists, but they adopted Islamic name, and there was an Islamic coin inscription and Lai Alhamdulillah, all, all printed in, in the coins. So during the that that is Buddhist king and all the influence of Islam was very strong that time. So Rohingyas are the not only one uh, community; it also have a, some diversity. They have, a, for example, they have. A, uh, descendant from Arabs, descendant from India, Persians, from... descendant from India. They're all mixed, you know, but they exist as a Rohingya people. They have the language, they have the culture. Uh, I mean, th this is a very... The name, the Rohingya, is that because of a particular location? Or... No, it's uh, because the name is Rohang, that the, the name derived from, for example, in 1799, when... A British um, uh, expert was traveling to th those region. His name was uh, Maurice Bukhail. He recorded that he found one Mohammedan people. They called themselves Rohang people. Rohang mean, if I'm not wrong, it's a children of the land. That kind of meaning it has. So th th this is a historical solid evidence already exists that these people exist in, in those lands. Okay, so... Let's come to more modern times. If we were to trace the developments that ended with the oppression of the Rohingya people, when are we talking about? We're talking about around the 60s of the last century, aren't we? No. Um, look, Burma is, was um, occupied or colonized by British power. Yes. So one of the tendency of the every nation that colonized, they, they have... Uh, nationalism, their nationalism is very strong because that is the driving force to kick out the colonial, colonial power. So that, that is the one, that is the idea, driving idea for. But one of the problematic also is once the independence was achieved, this ideology was never diminished into national building. That idea was continued particularly by one ethnic group, dominant ethnic group, Burma Buddhist. So they continue that ideology for, for uh, nationalism, ultra-nationalism. That also become a colonial power within the country. So Burma is a diverse country. We have uh, many ethnicities. Uh, we have a Kachin, Chin, Karin, Shan. They are all diverse. As well as religion. Well, religion also, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, all, all these different religion we have. So one group, Try to dominate, dominate everything. Everything, yeah. So That's this sure group, this group derive uh, all this ideology during the World War Two from Japan. What happened was the the Burmese revolution as they reached to uh, Japan, and they trained by them, and later on the, the the army was grew significantly. So the the beginning of the idea, Japan was that time fascist, fa uh, fascist, you know. So the I, the military foundation. Foundation was the fascism, where Japan is totally different country now. They have changed, they have developed, they have all this past gone. But the military in Burma still remained the same fascist army like during World War II. 
all their behaviors, all their strategies, all their tactics. All the crimes? That's all. Because the Japanese apparently committed atrocities, which today's prime minister needed to apologize. Of course, of course, of course. I mean, this is a history, no one can deny that. And that's what's going on until today in Panama. Now, right now, after uh, 2021 February, when the military coup power, you find the same as if we went back to the World War II. And now every city and towns in outside Burma, uh, inside Burma, there are small towns where a large population exists and they are against the military. There isn't any village remain now. I mean, most of the village has been bombed. They use fighter jet. They use latest fighter jet from, uh, from Russia and they bomb the civilians. You know, th- this is what international... And this, I mean, they bombed the civilians. Why? Because was there any kind of revolt, any kind of uprising? Yeah, yeah uprising happening, revolution happening, the whole By nationwide. Whom? By whom? By everyone. All the ethnics, even the Burma Buddhist community also rise up, pick up arms. Now, young students, those who were supposed to be in the university campus, are now in military barracks. They are making weapons. They are fighting back against the military. They, they decided, no, this military must go. This military must go. This is the whole nation decided and fighting their best to to kick this military out. So why then, amid this particular scene that you've 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 mapped um, so eloquently, I would, I would add, um, why is it that the Rohingya are being singled out? So right now, um, the Rohingyas are not singled out, which in this fight, because the Rohingya are also welcome. But what we are seeing is the the ideology of uh, Islamophobia or maybe um, the sentiments, anti-Muslim sentiments, which has been implemented during since 1960s, very systematically, institutionalized. For example, since 1969, the military, uh, uh, that time, uh, General Nguyen, who established a rule that Every government employee must go through a boot camp. During this boot camp, they make sure the people, those who take the training, will hate Muslims. So, started with the teachers, immigration officers, all the government employees. So, when we were in the school, you know, the nigger, there is a call, uh, there is a word kala in Burmese. Call it means nigger. The, some derogatory term. Some teacher, some teacher doesn't call us by name. They call us kala. Nigger. So that means that terminology is very common to discriminate Muslim community. So that means the ideology is a very much deeply rooted against Muslims. And this is across the board. I mean, these officials that you speak of, they are of many faiths. Absolutely. They are of many ethnicities yes. and the such. Yeah, yeah. But they are somehow brainwashed, brainwashed into having this kind of sentiment towards Muslims. Yeah, we also studied how they, they did brainwash. This is my specialized subject because I need to prepare all the uh, all the countering those hate speech and all. So we studied a lot of uh, how the military, what kind of training they give, what kind of uh, language they use, what type of narrative they do. So we I gone through all these studies and then we we train some people as well to understand how the hate speech has been rooted in Burma and the Muslim sentiment has been rooted. So it is very dangerous. I mean, no one can easily escape from that kind of ideology. Is it, uh, I mean, again, I, I I beg your pardon for my lack of information, but um, is it true that um, there are Muslims in Burma that aren't Rohingya? Oh, of course. Okay, let me explain to you. Um, Burmese population, population in Burma is now 55 million. Uh, Muslims are at least 10 to 15 percent. So let's say Muslims are about 7 to 8 million. So among them, the two, around 2 million are Rohingya. So the rest, the 5 million other Muslims are non, non, non-Rohingya Muslims. So we have a six different groups. In the southernmost, we have a Malay Muslims. We call them Pashu, Pashu Muslims. In the northern Burma, we have a Chinese Muslim we call Pandey. So during the 19th century, uh, 18-something, there was a sultanate of Yunnan which was collapsed. And they all migrated into Burma when the Chinese was, you know, conquered them. So, and also we have uh, another group called uh, Kaman. Kaman is, a, they are mainly Persian peoples. They migrated from uh, Sultan of Bengal who sent the archers, you know, that Kaman, they, they are 
they also remain in Rakhine state. And there is also called, uh, called Pati. Pati is a terminology used for mixed uh, backgrounds. Those who are settled in Burma, married to Burmese women. So this was since uh, we can trace back to 9th century, there was some stone inscription we discovered in Burma. They also, there was, we found the Pati language at that time. So the Muslims uh, already exist for Turkish background, Arab backgrounds, Persian backgrounds, and Indian backgrounds, and Malaysian backgrounds. These five different groups came to Burma and mixed with the Burmese, and we have six different Muslim groups now. So, and the anti-Muslim sentiments, or the Islamophobia, as you termed it, um, that is instilled in the minds and the behaviors of officials within the state, they are targeting all of those groups? Absolutely. This is a state policy. The state has a policy no matter whatever you are, you, whether you are a noble laureate or you are a democratic icon, but you have to subscribe that policy in order to rule country, in order to be peace with the military. So that is the reason why... When so any Muslim, Zuchi, for instance, who wants to become part of the government? No, it, it is impossible. Impossible. There is a rule. No Muslim should allow in the military. No Muslim should allow in police. No Muslim should allow in any this government. This is declared... Law? It is unwritten law. We have unwritten law in Burma because the military is very clever. They never leave any trace that could prove that there is a genocidal policy exists in Burma. The track record which you have studied and you work on um, tells you that there is there a is. genocidal oh, For example, I can tell you very, very interesting. Uh, the Burmese military always use anti-Muslim situations when they are in trouble, when the whole country is revolting against them. They try to use this. All right. In 1988, the nationwide revolution happened. Then they used all the severe forces to stop that. And in 1989, there was a six days non-stop. They published uh, the six parts. or one. There was a booklet they imported from India or Sri Lanka. It's called um, the How the Muslims Are Dangerous. The nations, the religions, and our our peoples are in danger. So this was published for six consequently days in 1989. And the second part was also in 2008. There was another revolution happened in the whole country. And 2007 it happened. And 2008, they published another part two of this kind of, uh, of things how the Muslims should be controlled. That was a more genocidal intent strategies. Okay, they published this. And these books were for the pleasure of whom? Who, who was the audience? The, the audience was the Burmese Buddhist community in Burma. So they, they published in the newspaper, government-owned newspapers. But when we tried to study this, we went back to the all the library in the country. We couldn't find only this six days record. The rest is exist. So the records of these six days were wiped out. They don't leave any trace that you can prove later on. Look, the military involved in the genocide. All the orders, the all the orders were given by 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 you know by verbally. Not they don't leave any written piece of any any anything. But still, there are something leak out. We always get it. We still have some solid evidence we receive or sometimes. So. This is a strategy the military use, you know, to divert the Buddhist community against the Muslims. Now what they're doing, even now what they're doing, they are using the same language. They are saying that Muslims and Christians are now using Buddhist brothers, each other to fight. So we shouldn't fight because the whole nation is rise up against the military and fighting them. So they want to stop that. They cannot stop that. Now what happened is they are losing manpower. The military, when they where they recruit their manpower, those sta two states are mainly in central Burma are now revolting against them. So some some families is very interesting. His father is the military member of the military. The children are against the military. So even the families are divided. So they are fighting because the military has done one very dangerous uh, crime. They have done. They burn down their villages. For them, their villages are very sacred. So that is no go zone. They shouldn't do that. So now the whole country is against them, fighting against them. So 
during, I mean, you talk about 2007, 2008. Uh, during that time, a name from Burma became quite prominent on the global stage, Aung San Suu Kyi, and who was ultimately given the Nobel Peace Prize because she was uh, uh, she was presented as this icon of democracy in a country that was void of democracy, something that reads very, very well. I have to say that when I first heard about her, about the story, about the film that was made about her, about someone uh, you know, swimming across to her uh, house in isolation and then having this conversation. And, you know, nine, yeah. um, but then when she was asked about the Rohingya, her answer belied, I mean, I have to say, it belied Not any sense for, of democracy uh, yeah. or, or any kind of progressive vision regarding Burmese people and uh, totally denied even probably the existence of the Rohingya, but she said there is no such people or there is no such. Well, uh, she is a politician and that that's what I look at her. She's not a savior. This is one of the things very dangerous idea exists in our people's mind. People think that somebody will come and save them. No, no one come, will it's come and save It's a very romanticized them. notion of how that's, to that's end the suffering. That's an illusion, I, I feel. That. I see that is an illusion. Maybe we are expecting someone who come and fight for us. No, that's a laziness. We have to rely on ourselves. We have to, de because as a Muslim, I believe in Allah. I trust in Allah. And I, I don't, I, I put my trust in Him. Yeah, but we have to go through the struggle. But we have to do ourselves. We just put our faith in Allah and just sitting is not right. We have to fight for it. So in that case, what I see, if something is not right, we must stand up against that. Right? So we, I saw that during the 2012, when I heard from her, that I, th I said, no, that, I don't like that language because you you must stand up against any kind of odds, you know, any kind of uh, the, the human rights violations, no matter who it is. And Rohingya does not need to prove they are ethnic of Burma in order to get to be treated as a human being. They don't need it. They are human beings. They must be respected. So this is what the idea uh, the military want to implement in the country. And she subscribed that idea. So because in order to get into the power, she announced no Muslim should stand up from the NLD party for the election. So 2015, we call it Muslim-free election, Muslim-free parliament. It was history in Burma. Never happened in the history of Burma, in democratic history of Burma. Always Muslims are there. We are always recognized, but only during the NLD time. So this gives the military a signal that I will subscribe your policy. And she went to defend the military in The Hague. So that is... Despite the fact that her whole legacy this is the, was about opposing no, the military. This is the nail on the coffin of the NLD party and, and her legacy as well. And from that time, the whole nation internationally, no one will trust her anymore. I have to say that even um, international attention given to her is far less... Yeah. Uh, because um, I, I know certain uh, friends in the world of media and uh, politics uh, on the left who saw her as some sort of magnificent icon, they were quite astounded by her remarks when it came to the Rohingya people because um, it went against every grain. Yeah. Of while, while the Rohingya were mercilessly murdering in, in the 2017, uh, uh, or September 5th, yeah. I remember that. So almost to the day, almost to the day, almost to the day. Yeah. September 5th, 2017, she said in the parliament or in, in a public talk, I don't know why people are running away and leaving the Burma and why people are asking them only. Why people don't ask people who still remain in Burma. Mm, yeah, I remember that. So that time was mass killing happening, rape happening. People were burned alive, children were burned alive. And she said without, I don't know where... She lost her heart or mind. You know, how can she say like that? You know, it must be the victim's fault. Why are they running away? It must be their fault. Um, okay, so let's talk about the plight of the Rohingya themselves. Um, when did it become so, um, uh, so outspoken, so overwhelming that all of a sudden we started hearing around the world, we started hearing of a case called the Rohingya? 
because I have to say that during my activist activism years, um, you know, up until the late probably two thousands and the such, I had never heard of the Rohingya. The first time I heard about them, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know how to write Rohingya. I didn't know how to pronounce Rohingya. It was the very first time. So when, you know, how far back can you trace this? When did this suffering begin? Okay, Rohingya people involved in every revolution in Burma. They are part of the country. They are part of the history. And during the 1960s, there had, we had a Mujahideen in, in, in Rohingya communities. And they surrendered and they were given some land and place for, from the Burmese military that time. 1960-61, UNU government, the democratic government at that time. And after, until the military took power, we had a Rohingya language uh, radio program in, in the state uh, television broadcast, you know. So they broadcast in, in a Rohingya language. And Rohingya were part of them. And then in from 60s, uh, they start the, some... Things sixty uh, nine from nineteen sixty nine, something start cooking up, and the military has a plan. Then they gradually started uh, some strat uh, some strategy in the Rakhine state that will. Uh, uh, in nineteen seventy eight, there was an uh, operation called King Dragon uh, operations. There, hundreds of thousands of Rohingya Muslims were pushed back to Bangladesh. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah, three hundred more than three hundred thousand. And then why to Bangladesh? Because they said that they come from Bangladesh. They are illegal immigrants from Bangladesh. But actually, no. Because when one thing you see that in Burma border, in the north we have a China border. You can find the same population in China and Burma, both sides. Okay, same way in Thailand, same way in India. Right in India there was a, there is a Manipur and all these people. And the, in the in the Burma side also the same we call different names, but the same population, the same history they have, same culture, the same language. Yeah, they have. Right. So I mean the same way the Rohingya also exists in Burma as well, and the Rakhine people also exist in Bangladesh side as well. In Rakh in Bangladesh there is a very strong Rakhine population. They are Bangladesh. They are not Burmese, right? They are not. They never been to Burma. They they all all Rakhine. These Rakhines are from Bangladesh. The Bangladesh citizen, Bangladesh ethnic of Bangladesh. So Bangladesh recognized them. So why must because the Mus, being a Muslim, Burma will never recognize them. For example, another another uh, community called Maramaji. This Maramaji has the same language, same look, face, appearance, same culture like a Rohingya people, but they are Buddhist, so they are recognized. So we need to see that, that this is not only anti-Rohingya strategy. This is the anti-Muslim. How can I say that? Because Look back the 15 years behind, where Rohingyas are facing what kind of what Rohingya were faced during the uh, 15 years ago. Now other Muslims are facing. The first they touched their citizenship rights. Citizenship rights withdrawn from the Rohingya community. Then they brought all the oppressive policies. Then they use a military operation to to kick to finish the population. So the same way happening in, for example, in the southern Burma. Where there is a Muslim community that are very strong, seventy percent of Muslim population has no citizenships. I heard this, and I just couldn't believe this. Many so intentionally they make it. It is very hard for them to get a citizenship. So more than a million people have no papers. No papers. So that, basically, that means they, they don't exist. So I heard from someone, and this really upset me to no end. He actually said that we have no papers. And he said that if anyone asks me to prove who I am, I can't. You can't. I can't even prove that my name is my name. I can't prove the date of my birth. I can't prove who are my parents. So this is absolutely absurd. So let me give you more bad news in that case. In Thai Burma border, there are nearly 100,000 Burmese Muslims. They are not Rohingya. Now they become stateless. They have no papers. They went to Thailand during the civil war. So they exist with the family, they work there. And in 2018, the Thai government, it's good intention, what they did was, uh, they want to legalize everyone. So they want to, they ask the neighboring countries to set up the temporary immigration offices to issue them border pass. So when they get the border pass, they will get the official residence permit. 
from the Thai authorities. So when the when the Muslim any Muslim approach to the Burmese immigrations, they said there isn't Muslim Burmese Muslim exists in Burma. We don't have you, even though the the person is speaking in Burmese, giving everything in jails. Said no. So that is the and, reason. And the the worrying thing because. Um, uh, you know, I know a little bit about rendering someone stateless. I mean, even the British government, when it wanted to pass a bill uh, regarding withdrawing British citizens' uh, nationality, uh, one of the conditions were that they couldn't be deemed stateless. So they had to have some other citizenship so that they're not stateless. Because being stateless means, I mean, and this is, it, it uh, is this terrible. is horrible. It's terrible. But it's not just about not being able to conduct your normal life to go on about buying a house, no, for instance, or doing anything. But mm -hmm. but it means that if you are killed, you are not recognised, and therefore, if one one and a half million Rohingya people do not have documents proving that they even exist, wiping them out would absolutely have okay let me come back to you it's a very interesting thing how they did in rohingya states before i complete the, the what's happening in the thai burma border so the military the so the thai government issue order law they pass a law that if you if any illegal will arrested will jail for two years and they cannot come back for the five years so they will be deported so we published a report and approach to thai governments through some thai legal firms and organizations to because we explained that what's going on with the muslim community is not fair so if they will be if they will be jailed for two years for no reason without for not their fault so thai government has changed the law didn't change the law but uh, give the order that if muslim arrested from if any burmese muslim arrested don't jail them send them back to burma so when they send them back to burma the burmese immigration give them two options you want to end up in the jail or go back where you come from of course, they will go back. So they go back illegally again to Thailand. So they, in the border, they cannot go anywhere. They have no existence. Their children have no education. They have no any healthcare. They have no any jobs. And what happened? These people have been exploited by the criminal gangs. And some children have been kidnapped. We don't know what's going on with them. So these are the situation with them. And the Rohingya state, what they've done, every January, every year, January, from 1994, I think, they started this project. They visit every household and they ask them to stand up and they took the picture, family picture. They even record how many dogs and how many cows, how many goats, how many chicken, how many things this family belongs. Everything they record. This will update every year. Until 2017, they did this. So there is no argument they can give that they don't know who they are. They know very well who they are, right? So Burmese government or maybe any government authorities cannot deny any Rohingya didn't exist because they don't have any citizenship card. No. They did all check and, and uh, record every year. So that means... So they have the data. They have data completely everything. Mm. They are very good at storing data. What's... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I take it that the Rohingya have fought back, that they have resisted this, that they have tried to uprise, they have tried to, um, uh, you know, oppose the, 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 the kind of conditions that they suffer. What are, I mean, what can you tell, tell us about this? Because you see, this is what I find lacking in at least my record of information regarding the Rohingya. I know that they are refugees. I know that they are refugee camps mainly in Bangladesh, but also scattered around that particular region. But I don't know of the Rohingya and their fight, their fight for their rights inside of their own country, inside of Burma. Is that uh, a sort of fair reflection of, of events? Of course, Rohingya, of course, they fight for their cause. Rohingya has very brave people, very good people. They have a good leadership as well. And even they, they live in UK and then Europe and Western countries as well. And their activities are also very alive. And the actions they do a lot of... But one thing is we need to understand that when a community who faces systematic genocide, genocide doesn't mean one day, few days happen. It takes several decades you know the policies built and all the hate speech and narrative were built several decades to in order to execute that you know to lay the foreground to, uh, uh, to to make people ready for this and to accept the the, the crimes that are committed so that that is 
and also it's a bureaucratic system exists in order to make sure the genocide happened. So that's how the military did this. So when genocide happened, the, their policies were exist and make sure that this community cannot survive any part of the world. That is how they've been, they've been oppressed. They've been traumatized. They've been, you know, but it doesn't mean these peoples are not capable to, to fight back. Of course, they have very strong capability they have. But what they need is, they need some countries stand behind them with committed, commit, committedly. I mean, some country need to commit proper support for them. But can I just say, I mean, it's, I wouldn't want them to be forced or cornered to have to fight physically. I want the, them to, you know, to campaign for their rights. I yeah. want them to, to demand. Stand up, to stand up on their own. Th so that they are treated as human beings, that they are treated as equals within their own country. That's I mean, what I mean. They shouldn't yes. need to expose themselves yeah. or their children to be killed or burned or be, such in order to, to gain those into, rights. They shouldn't be forced into yeah. violence. Yeah. So this is very important. When a country involved, that is the reason why I said a country or few country need to come together and strategize how going to build Rohingya leadership and Rohingya youth to stand up for their rights and to fight for peacefully for their for their cause. We should, we don't see this kind of support properly, but we there are some support already, like uh, US and UK and some European countries are doing this, and also OIC is also doing some some you know good efforts as well. But there must be some united efforts that will make sure that the coming generations of Rohingya will not be left behind from education, from healthcare, from their, you know, they, they should be part of the wall. They shouldn't be left behind because of their, you know, uh, facing the genocide. And we never allow, we should never allow the military, the successful, their strategy, because that's what they want. They want the military, the, the, this population will be destroyed within. That's what they are creating a lot of. Let me tell you about something that I confronted when trying to prepare for for this podcast for this program i got in touch with a number of my friends and colleagues who live in various countries around the muslim world i, I i'm not going to be more specific than that they're in the the muslim world region and i was extremely surprised that none of them wanted to appear either on the media or to have their names mentioned. And when, you know, after asking the third, fourth, fifth person, I started saying, listen, I, I want to highlight this cause of yours. Why aren't you coming out? So they all said one thing, they all shared one thing, and they said, listen, because we have families. We have families back in Burma, and they're still susceptible to being oppressed, killed, whatever, and we can't do that. And we're, we're too afraid for them. But then a couple of them mentioned something which is, or was even more uh, soul-destroying. He said, one of our colleagues recently spoke uh, publicly on some obscure media channel, and the Muslim government of that country, they arrested him, and they sentenced him to 25 years in prison. This was only two days ago. I was astounded. I could, from the political point of view, understand why certain Muslim countries wouldn't vote at the UN Security Council against the military regime in, in Burma um, because they're playing politics, because they think of China, because they think of Bangladesh, they think of, you know, okay, so I understand that. I understand that. But what I don't understand is a Muslim government sentencing a Rohingya commentator, not even activist, a commentator who went on a channel to speak about the plight of the Rohingya people, then detaining him and then sentencing him to 25 years in prison. That I can't understand. Can you? It's really shocked me. But uh, I understand this is a price we have to pay in this course. Because, you know, um, sometimes geopolitics is very tricky. We see that uh, for example, in Uyghur issues, you can see that. We don't see much Muslim countries supporting them. But it's come to my mind that how far we want, we need to rely 
other than yourself to be other people for your own cause. If I have to fight, I have to fight. I have no choice. We have a millions of our Muslim brothers, sisters in Burma. I interviewed, one of my colleagues interviewed in, in the Rohingya camp. There was one lady. She was survived from the fire. The military was put into a house and they were gang raped her and threw her children into fire. And she, they also threw her into the fire. And some Rohingya brothers were saved her. And see what, what is the price. The another person, the lady, she has to decide which one, one of her child should die because she cannot carry three children. She can carry only two children. And third one, she can't carry that. She let that child burn alive. And look at this, ask this mother, what, what, what else is the price she need to pay? And there is one brother who, who was a very rich guy in Rakhine State. He has uh, cows and farms and a lot. He was, mashallah, Allah's giving barakah in, in, in Rakhine State. He was, his father was killed and his two daughters was raped in front of him and everything was destroyed. He's still surprised at why he's alive. He said, if it is not haram, he will commit suicide. He said, no reason I'm surviving. Every day is like for me is punishment. So brother, this is a price we have to pay. I'm not considering that that's how we can, but it's not right with us. Recently, one of my friends, my colleague, he's a Rohingya. He said something in the media. Few days, his brother was killed in, the, in Burma. There are many incidents happen with her, but I'm sure it will, we will not stop. People will pay the price. Who are now supporting you in terms of uh, countries, states? Who, who's supporting you? One good thing is that even China is not opposing. Right? They understand that the Rohingya situation needs to be sorted out. And people in Burma, is, especially Muslim communities, are not against China, not against anyone. All we are asking is just treat us like a human being. That's all we are asking. We are not asking for separate state or separate country. Or all we are asking is give us human right. We are human being. Treat us equally. That's all we are asking. And that become crime for the military. But for the countries, we have, as far as I have re reached out, for example, in UN Security Council, Russia and China always stand up with the military. They have their interests. They have their geopolitical interests. They have their economic interests with them. But uh, my question is, what is the most interest, important interest than the humanity? When there is a genocide is happening, denying is also a complicit. And that's what these big nations, you look at China, Russia, they, are, they were once victims of fascism. We are now also victims of fascists. The fascist military itself, the Russia, China, look at their, their history. They fought against tooth and nails, sacrificed millions fighting against the fascism. And now they are supporting the, the, the very fascist army in Burma. But part of the problem is, of course, that China has its own problems and violations of human rights against the Uyghurs and others, uh, as well as in Russia, you know, what the crimes committed in either Ukraine or in Syria or in elsewhere. And therefore, you know, even if they were to stand by the Rohingya people, um, they would come under question, okay, so what about your own crimes? What's about your own? If you're going to condemn... I mean, the thing is, it seems to me that um, part of the problem on, a, on, on, a, on an international stage is that most countries have their own human rights violations, have their own hum human crimes, war crimes and the such, so they can't afford to be questioned and therefore they don't even bother to support or to condemn any particular crime being committed because they'll be asked about their own. So that I, I believe is, is definitely part of the problem. But my question, let me be more pointed. What about the Muslim and Arab countries, especially those with huge finances and wealth and money and, and, the, and the such? What kind of reception do you have? Does the Rohingya campaign has a Rohingya campaign in terms of Rohingya campaign I'm not that sure how the Rohingya community have engaged with, with the Arab wall but of course there are some for example uh, OIC countries are now supporting the you know ICJ case which is very significant and this is a one solidarity the OIC country has approved now right we stand up behind the Rohingya people but my suggestion is in Burma it is not only Rohingya who are suffering 
Rohingyas are the most persecuted population in the world. But that doesn't mean we close our eyes for other people. There are another four or five million Muslim populations still exist in Burma, still facing a lot of oppressions, still facing so many discriminations, persecutions. There isn't any engagement for that. So we are working, representing, and we are working so many fronts, working with the people inside the country and also the, the exile. There are some unity has been built, but we try to or, or approach to the OIC countries, OIC uh, secretariats, but that is a long process for us to reach them out and to engage with them. So what we feel is um, the Muslim country need to open up more doors for us, to engage more with us. Because that these are the, look, population in Burma and they are the descendants of Arabs, Turkish, right? Persians and Indians. They are, they are not strange. They are not strangers. So we, there must be some kind of engagement and that kind of some support should establish. Because what we're doing is we recognize by internationally. Our organization still exists operating inside the country. Still we collect a lot of data and evidence and we do advocacy as well. I frequently travel to Malaysia and Thailand, US and in Europe as well. But we don't have much engagement with Arab world. So that's what we need to expand one day. But we need to but we tried. It doesn't mean we never tried. We always tried. We always been trying. We want to engage with everyone because our issues is compared to other Muslim issues. We are more uh, uh, acceptable than many other countries, than any other cause, right? So, so this is something easier for us to reach out. What was the uh, impact or effect of human rights of Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, of, of their reports? on the status of the Rohingya and the military regime's violations of human rights in, in Burma? There are lots. There are lots of reports came out from the Human Rights Watch. I mean, they've been doing a lot of reports Rohingya, I mean, for Rohingya and other Muslim community as well, but from uh, Amnesty as well, from Human Rights Watch. There are many other organizations we know, which is also working in the UK. There is a BC UK, Burma Campaign UK also. They do a lot of campaign about the Rohingya people as well. Internationally, Rohingya topic is very important, very People take very seriously about that. But I don't see much in the Muslim world. In Muslim world, there are some civil society level is still there, but it doesn't reach to the government level, high levels. But we can't also deny blatantly that, look, Rohingya were accepted by the OIC. Some Rohingya organization invited to the regularly to the OIC meetings. But what we are asking is, it's not enough. Right? There are all the Muslims are suffering in Burma. You must open, you must listen, you need you need to give some channel these people. At least there's some something they can complain to. In terms of Rohingya situations and also other Muslim situations in Burma, we need more countries come together and have some efforts to support these populations in order to survive in that fragile environment. To continue, for example, the Burmese military is very cunning. So what they're doing right now is they are using drugs to destroy Muslim populations. It's a similar story in, in, in various uh, various places and uh, in regions, unfortunately, that uh, in order to weaken, to disseminate, to um, render, almost neutralize the community, drugs is a very, very potent weapon. This is often employed. I want to talk about the future. I want to talk about what kind of hope there is. Fine, we want further support on an international level. We, um, you know, as activists around the world, military regimes are bad for everyone um, and they must come to an end. Democracy is very, very important. Human rights, very, very important. I, I have to say, I mean, your appeal to the uh, Arab and Muslim world, whilst absolutely right, I have to say I don't harbor much hope simply because there are so many violations within those countries, once again, that they are rendered useless. They can't, they have no position, you know, they have no right almost uh, to demand of Burma to uh, end um, its human rights violations simply because they could easily, the, the Burmese can turn back to those regimes and say, okay, what about yours? However, 
uh, that appeal must remain, must continue. But we need to know more, and I, I'm talking here about myself, but I also think many of, of my listeners, they will also share my, my ignorance as to many facets of what's going on in Burma. I mean, the fact, for instance, that you clarified to me today that there are five, six different, six different Muslim groups in, uh, in Bangladesh, I, in, uh, Burma. In, in Burma, sorry. Um, I, I had no idea. I thought it was the Rohingya, and that was it. The, the manners of the suffering, the, 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 the rendering of people without, I, you know, without papers that they could prove who they are, you know, who they came from, is, is something which is horrific. If and, you read our monthly reports, we publish two reports every month, hate speech and the situation updates. There are some events last month we recorded. So being a Muslim, people didn't, don't rent their house. That's happened in Central Rangoon. So being a Muslim, they don't rent your house. This happened, but not everywhere, but it happened some places. These, uh, these newsletters, who, did, who do you send them to? We publish uh, through our networks and we share them on the social media. And Do you write to governments? Do you write to members of parliaments? Do you write to the United Nations? We share this report definitely to the, all the, our contacts. Uh, thousands of contacts we have in, in the media, in governments, and in uh, civil societies. So we share them all this data and information. But also the commitment, you know, from the some government, some powers. Without having this, it is very difficult to change the situation right now. But look what Burmese people, people in Burma is determined to fighting back against the military. And they are they're doing their best. Of course, it takes some time. It will take long, maybe longer time than we expect until some country will support the cause or take some side. But what shouldn't happen is what we are seeing every day by night, using air, air, uh, fighter jets to bomb the civilians, using helicopter gunship to attack the villages. This happening in the whole country. When some country, or some uh, in look at the comparing the Libya situation, when the Libya use some military jet to bomb the people. So NATO intervenes, right? Some big powers intervenes. But this happening every day in Burma, and no one even talk about this. So this is the all we are living in very double standard. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.